outside headquarters of Silicon Valley Bank in Santa Clara, California today. They just came out and told us that the bank is shut down. Out to a developing story after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank on Friday, another bank just shut down. Regulators today abruptly closed Signature Bank. It has offices throughout... UBS has agreed to take over the 167-year-old Swiss bank giant Credit Suisse in a deal worth $3 billion. For the last week, the banking crisis has engulfed the business community and the closure of Signature Bank, a major New York multifamily lender, raises the question of what this all means for real estate. Despite a tumultuous week for banks, top U.S. officials remain confident their banking system is strong. I'm Miriam Hall, and on this episode of BizNow Reports, my guest is Sonny Kelsey, a co-CEO of Bentel Greenoak a global real estate investment management advisor with about 78 billion of global assets under management across office, industrial, multifamily, retail and hospitality. Sonny, who was previously the global co-head of Morgan Stanley's real estate investing business, is talking here about what he thinks might play out over the next few days, comparisons to the GFC and what sorts of real estate opportunities might present themselves in all of this. He told me Silicon Valley Bank wasn't a major concern for BGO, but the firm did have exposure to Signature Bank and First Republic, meaning they had to act fast. We have a great CFO and a great finance team. And on Friday, last Friday morning, I can't believe it's only been a week, but last Friday morning we woke up to the news that SVB was being taken over by the FDIC. Uh, our CFO and team had already been working on where, who's next. And top of the list were Signature and First Republic, and they, they actually got almost all of our money out on Friday of both, which was remarkable uh, in hindsight that they did. And then obviously over the weekend, the FDIC came in and did what they did. But uh, yeah, it was definitely harrowing for sure. So I'm, I'm not being critical, but you are one of the people that did fuel this run. Yeah, well, look, you know, I think it's interesting. The banking industry, I'm not a banker, like I'm a real estate person, but I think a lot of the banking industry is built on confidence and trust. And what happened with, you know, you know, I, I've heard this data point, which is really interesting. And I may have the days off a little bit, but I think it's directionally right. Washington Mutual was the biggest bank that ever went under, and they lost $18 billion of deposits, and it took two weeks for that to happen. Silicon Valley Bank lost $42 billion in deposits in four hours. Um, and so when the confidence got shaken, right, back in, even in 2008 when Washington Mutual went out under, you basically kind of had to go to the bank or go to an ATM or do whatever. Now this is all you need to get your money out. <laughs> You're holding up your phone. <laughs> yeah. You, you just have to, you know, it's a lot different. It's a lot easier. So when confidence gets shaken, and, you know, and the reality is, Miriam, this is deposits. This is cash you have on deposits, not a risk asset or anything else, right? So you can have it on deposit anywhere. Um, so there's no reason to take risk uh, on that. And that comes back to the confidence matter. And so I think until, cons until people and consumers have confidence in the in financial institutions where they have their money deposited, I think we're going to continue to see more of this. So what happened to that money that you pulled out? Did yeah, it just went to other big banks that are, you know, there's a list of banks which are called globally whatever, like there's a list of 30 banks which have been designated as, you know, banks which are um, too big to fail. There's probably, there's a, there's a more technical term for it, but they're too big to fail. And in the U.S., it's a well-known list. It's banks like J.P. Morgan and Bank of America and Citigroup and Citibank and, you know, um, Wells Fargo. 
And so if you just look, those banks have had record numbers of inflows in the last 10 days. So you don't think confidence is back? You know, President Biden came out and told us everything was fine. The banks rescued uh, First Republic, supposedly, on Thursday. You don't think confidence is there? Well, I think it's it's better today than it was a week ago. I think it's going to take time. I think it's going to take time. And look, this is not just a U.S. issue anymore. We saw what happened with Credit Suisse um, and, you know, how the Swiss central bank had to come in and put capital there. So, again, I think that I just think that this is not a the issues did not build up in these institutions overnight. And I think and then and then this gets, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, whatever happens, happens. Signature Bank happens. I don't think the confidence comes back overnight. I think it takes time. How did this I just don't understand, quite understand how this happened. You know, did, why was no one thinking about this? I don't know. Look, there's, I think there'll be a lot of books and things written about this, just like there were the financial crisis. I would say a couple of big things from what I can see. One, the regulatory environment changed with these banks in 2018, right? So you went from a, the, the list of banks that were too big to fail was longer, and it got shortened, right? And if you think about it, they... Uh, they, they, they decided to hold banks that even had a size up to $250 billion in assets to a different standard than they hold those banks I talked about earlier, like J.P. Morgan. Um, so by definition, that creates more risk for those banks, number one. Number two, um, something must have happened in oversight here, right? You know, there was clearly, you know, whether it's the regulators or whether it was, you know, in fact, both those banks just got audited recently, got clean financials from their auditors. So something broke down in regulation and oversight, but then most importantly, broke down on management and management of the banks. Um, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, again, I'm just reading what I've seen in the press, um, had a, uh, you know, had a, um, a significant mismatch between its assets and liabilities, let's just say it that way, right? And it was heavily concentrated in one industry, you know, the venture capital industry. Candidly, a lot of people have talked about Signature Bank and its exposure to real estate, and that was significant, but it was also the largest crypto lender in the country, right? So if you could, I think you can draw an arc from what happened with FTX, and then therefore what's happened through crypto, what's happened to venture, what's happened to the higher risk assets, interest rates going up, the pressure that's put on banks overall, but also the pressure that's put on those industries, those high growth industries have been hit the hardest. And this to me is a continued ripple effect of all of that. Um, And then, you know, and I look again, I have Bloomberg TV on all day in my office and I think that, you know, you're just gonna continue to see this. Like I said, I will say anecdotally, today feels better than, for sure it feels better than a week ago. A week ago was really scary. It feels better than Monday when after the, FDIC had come out and said they're going to support and backstop all the depositors. Personally, I don't see a solution. Uh, again, as a non-banker, I don't see a solution for the, FDI, for the FDIC other than to say all deposits everywhere are protected, because that's the only thing that'll stop the run on the bank for now. You were um, at Morgan Stanley through the financial crisis. Were you getting flashbacks at all last yeah. weekend? Yeah, you know, we had a we, we had a very busy weekend last weekend as a firm and as a senior management team and, you know, going through our, with our teams and through bank accounts and everything else around the world. And, you know, uh, and I think we learned a couple of things. One, we were in really good shape. Number two, something we knew already, we had an awesome team that was all over it. Um, but number three, it never to me felt like that. You know, it never felt to me like, back then, by the way, we were talking about, 
the globally systemic important banks going down the drain, right? And so that didn't feel like, that doesn't feel like candidly what anyone's really worried about right now. Um, and so I think it's a different quantum. And I look, I believe um, maybe as a business person, it's unpopular for me to say this, I think regulation works. I think Dodd-Frank worked. There's a reason we haven't had another financial crisis in 15 years. And there's a reason that all of us who are maybe a little bit nervous about some of the smaller banks right now, until until we have more clarity, are just basically taking our money and putting it with these big banks, right? I mean, that is a result of that regulation because we know these big banks are just in a materially different safe place. I, I did speak to quite a few people this week who did say we need regulation and no one likes regulation, but you know, no one likes this either, so. Yeah, no, look, I mean, the financial crisis, GFC happened partly because there was not enough regulation and the regulation fell down. And then there were some people who had a view that Dodd-Frank went too far. And that's part of the reason in 2018, it may have gotten pulled back for some of these smaller banks. And now we're living the consequence of that, as far as I'm concerned. I spoke to um, a few people this week who were saying that this could um, this could fuel a further pullback from the banks with lending from for CRE. I mean, how do you think that it'll affect the commercial real estate investment? Does it change the normal course of how industry does business? I think the most direct thing it does is, um, you know, what what the real estate industry has been suffering from the most for the last nine to 12 months uh, since the Fed started the tightening cycle uh, has been a lack of liquidity and really debt liquidity, you know, financing debt. The debt markets have pulled way back. Um, and, you know, partly the banks, I think, have been, you know, the banks have become more cautious, which they probably should have. And given what's happened, it's probably appropriate that they got more cautious. Um, rates got higher, people couldn't afford to really say, hey, well, how can I borrow at six or 7% and someone wants a 5% cap rate for this, that doesn't work uh, you know, at the asset level. Then I think what's happened now is just gonna mean there's even less liquidity for real estate. Um, so I think the, sh the near term of impact is gonna be, it's gonna be even harder to borrow money. Um, that's gonna slow, I think, things down even more than we've already seen to date. Um, Candidly, if you're a lender, it probably is, and you're still in the market as a lender, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, a big chunk of what we do is lending, and so our lending businesses are, you know, probably just got a boost in terms of what they're going to be able to do from a market opportunity perspective. Um, but overall, from an overall industry perspective, there's nothing good that comes out of this. So BGO just did close a $1.4 billion debt fund, so you're expecting to see a boost as a result of this. Yeah, I mean, look, and that was a that was a fund. Obviously, we started a while ago, and that's fund four or five. It's a continuation uh, of what we've been doing for a long time. But yeah, look, I think we've thought for the last twelve months, since again, since the Fed started raising rates, and since a lot of the other banks, you know, the banks pulled back, some of the non-banks pulled back, et cetera. There's been less liquidity. We thought, okay, that's a great time to be a lender. Um, and I think every, given everything that's happened in the last week or 10 days, it's an even better time to be a lender. Can you give me a sense of, of the difference? Like if I'm a borrower between the terms that you're offering and the deals that you're looking to fund and what the bank would offer? Yeah, I mean, look, generally speaking, it's all about cost of capital. And I think broadly speaking, the bigger the bank is, generally speaking, the lower cost of capital it has. And if that's the case, you know, and by the way, think about it, their, their biggest, uh, a lot of times their biggest access to capital are deposits. And, you know, and they, that's usually one of the cheapest forms of capital there is. Um, so broadly speaking, 
I think that a, a, a bigger bank with a bigger balance sheet should have a lower cost of capital, should be able to lend for less money. On the other end of the spectrum, I think debt funds uh, and people that have a higher cost of capital um, are going to have to charge more on that money, um, especially in this interest rate environment, to have it be something that makes sense. That's already been happening. So the cost of capital for borrowing money in the real estate industry has gone up a lot. It's maybe doubled in the last 12 months. And like I said earlier, I don't think anything, I think everything that's happened in the last week is means going to go up even more. So nothing good is coming of this. Well, I think when you have you know the 15th largest bank in the country fail, and then the, one of the biggest the biggest regional bank I think in the New York area, or one of the biggest in the New York area that also is a big real estate lender fail, you know there's nothing there's nothing good for that as it relates to the industry and the market and confidence. And look, the other issue I think Signature had is, um, and we felt this as an investor is um, you know the significant radical kind of overnight changes that happened in 2019 to the rent control laws in New York basically wiped out a ton of equity value. And I would also argue it wiped out a ton of lender value, right, in terms of what their loans were worth. And Signature was a huge lender to that space. Um, so, you know, that took a little longer for it to come to fruition. Again, I'm not a banking expert, but I think that Signature Bank, from what I understand, had a huge exposure to rent-controlled residential. If you have a huge exposure to crypto, both of those are areas that have done, that have really gotten hurt a lot. I know you're not a banking expert, but could we speculate for a moment about what might happen to this bank? I don't know what's going to happen to these banks. You know, I think I saw SBB's holding company declared bankruptcy today, and that's probably what they need to do to get to an orderly wind down or whatever's going to happen there. And, you know, um, as I understand it, I think that they've been trying to find buyers uh, for these institutions and that they haven't come up with it. I think part of the reason is our political environment. You know, I think right now, uh, near as I can tell, I kind of avoid Twitter these days, but I think near as I can tell, both parties are just kind of shooting at each other over the last week. And it reminds me, you meant, you brought up the GFC. You know, 2008, um, you know, President Bush called then candidate Obama and, and John McCain to DC to spend a few days with him in the fall of 2008 and his team as they figured out what they were gonna do. And his reasoning was one of those two gentlemen was gonna be the next president in four months, so they should be part of the solution. I couldn't even imagine anything close to that happening in today's political environment. You know, I mean, I hope it does. I hope it would, because I hope people would put country first and party second and all this stuff. But so you, you look at this political environment and no one wants to be seen as giving a bailout or a handout or whatever else. Um, and so you're having to engineer all these different things in order to bring back this confidence and you know, okay, you know, this is it, the worst is behind us or this is gonna be it. But I kind of feel like you're doing it with one arm tied behind your back. Um, and that's the part that's a little bit distressing to me, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so I think these solutions are going to take a long time. I don't think that they'll happen. You know, for the banks that have already been impacted, I'm glad to see what happened to the First Republic today. I think that's a big statement on part of the industry. You know, basically those banks that put that deposit into First Republic have been the ones that have just got actually the benefit of a bunch of deposits coming to them from banks like First Republic. So what they're doing is turning around and putting it back in as a sign of support. Um, and that, look, again, all these things are helpful, Miriam, in, in kind of getting us back to a place where we were two weeks ago. <laughs> so there are a few things that could potentially happen with, with these banks. They're up for sale, right? So they might get sold as, as an entire company. Potentially a big buy, bank might buy them. A small bank might buy them. But 
there's a possible possibility also they'd be sold off in pieces. I mean, from a real estate perspective, what's the best outcome, do you think? <sighs> Gee, that's a good, I, I don't know the answer to that one. I think, uh, I think the best outcome is the one that gets us back to normality as soon as possible, right? So the one where um, you can continue to function and do business, you know, and interact with these banks, borrow money from them, deposit with them, have other functions with them and others. So I think the, whatever the solution is that gets us back to normality as soon as possible, I think is the best outcome for the real estate industry. So maybe a regional bank? Because people seem to love these regional banks for real estate perspective, more creative, more nimble, better terms. Generally, you know, candidly, less red tape, easier to work with, faster to open an account, to do a bunch of other things. They get the local markets, right? Signature got New York City. Um, you know, SVB, we didn't really bank with them, but they got Silicon Valley. They got they got the tech sector. They knew it better, right? They knew the players and all that. Um, look, the overwhelming majority of the business that we did before all of this happened, like 80 or 90% of what we did, we, do, we did globally with the too big to fail banks, right? Because we just did. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the right answer for that to be 100%. Um, and so I think whatever gets us back to a point where we all have confidence working with a variety of lenders is better for, this, for a healthy functioning financial system. And that's better for the real estate industry. Real estate really already was dealing with a confluence of fairly massive issues. Do you see what's happened here as any more consequential to some of the big things that real estate was already facing? For example, like office debt maturities, uh, that is a huge issue for real estate at the moment. Do you see this as any bigger than that? I think this just piles on that. I think, uh, you know, I think it makes it, I mean, it, we just took some lenders out of the market and then other lenders are gonna be more conservative. Um, and so I think that this is gonna mean for the foreseeable future, there's even less liquidity for real estate. And then, you know, look, this doesn't help office employment at all, right? You know, if you've got a couple of banks that probably occupied a lot of office space, and if it's limited to just them, okay, fine, but if this does spread and it becomes more pervasive, you know, the asset class that's really suffered the most because of the pandemic has been office here in the US and um, none of this helps. You've said that office is where you would buy if you want to make money in the next five years. Do you stand by that? Yeah, uh, to, to be really clear on what I said um, uh, was, I said, when we look back in five years, I, I was asked to be a contrarian. I said, if you look back in the next five years, I think office will be an asset class where people will, people will have made a lot of money. I also said, uh, which didn't get as much press, was partly because I thought values were going down a lot, like 30 to 50%. Um, so I still stand by that comment, but values have to come down. They've come down. They've actually already come down. If you were, if you truly had to sell an office building in Manhattan right now, and it wasn't one Vanderbilt, um, your price is not going to be. You're not going to be excited about your price. Um, I look. My my view on this is, an, as an investor for over 30 years, is based on two things. One, I don't believe everyone's going to work from home forever. They've already returned back to the office in Asia. They've already returned back to the office in Europe. They kind of look like they did pre-pandemic, more or less, especially the big cities. The U.S. is the big laggard. I think that over time, I think we'll see a return to more normality on the occupancy side. Uh, but it'll be clearly less than it was pre-pandemic. 
And then the other thing is, I think the prices, values will go down. And when values go down, it'll create an entry point for new money to come in at a much more attractive basis. And people will figure out how to make money on that. This is a very industrious country with a very industrious real estate industry. So uh, I'm, I'm fairly confident about that, but it's going to take time. So you still think that office is a place where there's going to be opportunities for people? I think so. I think it's too early. Um, and I, like I said before, specifically around this topic, I think the last what's going on right now does not accelerate the opportunity. It might delay it. Um, it might take even longer for it to make sense. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do. I think uh, I think it does. And I, I would actually point to retail a little bit as the example. Like retail, you know, has been for 10 years has been in a really downward spiral, right, as it relates to tenants going bankrupt and people taking less space and asset values going down a lot. But guess what? Asset values in some cases have gone down 50%. Some tenants have gone bankrupt, but other tenants have gotten stronger. And then something, a little funny thing happened when people were stuck at home for a couple of years, they realized that they actually kind of liked going to the store, you know, and so they might want to still buy some stuff from Amazon, but you know, they also kind of liked if they had to go buy a pair of blue jeans, go to the store and try on five pairs as opposed to have five shipped to you and whatever. So, you know, retail is in better shape than it was five years ago, three years ago, but it had to, re it had to correct. Um, I think that's what office has to go through. I have to ask you though, I mean, BGO and Related had to hand back the keys, quote unquote, on a on an office, two office buildings in Long Island City. Yeah. Um, what went wrong there with the business plan? Uh, I would say, obviously, two great firms that know a lot about real estate um, and, you know, uh, partner like Related, um, who's awesome. And I'm not sure there's anyone who knows New York as well, you know, better than them. Maybe other people know it as well as them. Um, That's why it was so shocking. Yeah, well, look, great assets. Um, I think it was the right strategy when we bought them. And then a lot of things changed. You know, when Amazon uh, got chased out of coming to New York, that they were going to Queens, that hurt a lot. Um, that hurt a lot. <laughs> uh, and then when you compound that by, you know, the pandemic and what that did to office occupancy and then also office leasing and then how sluggish the office recovery has been and, and um and in the U.S. broadly, but especially in the big gateway cities like New York, it was just a confluence of a lot of a lot of bad things. Um, so our goal now is to just make sure we do the right thing for our investors and for the lender. So. Yeah, you're not the only one that got caught out there in Long Island City. There are lots of buildings there that are empty. And it wasn't based on unsound theory. It was based on a sound theory that people wanted to live there and people wanted to work there. Look, the thesis was very simple. It's, it's it's one or two subway stops away from Midtown Manhattan, and the rents were half what they were in Midtown Manhattan. And so if you wanted to have cooler space, have it cheaper, but also have it be closer maybe to where some people lived, it made a lot of sense until it didn't make sense. It'll make sense again one day. I'm sure of that. I just don't know. I think it's going to take a while. What's, um, I just want to ask you quickly, what's your view on what the Fed might do this week? Yeah. yeah, the one thing that's been consistently wrong for two years is what the forward curve says. And so, um, well, look, the ECB raised rates, you know, so a lot of people were wondering what they were going to do when they raised rates. The Fed's in a tough spot. They got a, you know, inflation is still real. It's still out there. Um, as the February number showed, it hasn't really slowed down. It's slowing down, but not fast enough. 
And so they're going to have to balance that against the banking crisis. So I don't know what they're going to do. I think that I, I you know, I what I what I my own personal view is I'm just not sure, though, you know, a lot of people are thinking, gee, is the tenure going to come down significantly? I'm not sure I would bet on that. How many more body blows can the economy take before a recession happens? Is this it? First it was COVID, labour crisis, supply chain crisis. Is this, is the banking crisis what's going to tip us over? Maybe, perhaps, you know, I think uh, my own, I was personally pretty bearish last fall. I talked myself into getting a little bit less bearish beginning of this year. You know, I think, uh, you know, um, the war in in Ukraine had not spread. The winter was mild. So Europe actually did pretty well in the winter, relatively speaking. So that felt good. And then China reopening was huge as it relates to from a macroeconomic perspective. That's obviously great for not just for China, but for the global economy, especially for Asia's economies. So that was making me feel better. This is obviously not good. I mean, you know, banking crises, by their definition, the, the, the one silver lining is they're probably deflationary because it takes money out of the system, right? So that, you know, that's probably, that's a good thing. They're bad as it relates to capital being there for growth, capital, you know, confidence for people to want to invest in things and everything else. So. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, you know, some of the big banks that have big research teams have been, you know, they had lowered their um, recession forecasts from, you know, 25% to less than that. And a lot of them have increased it above that now. So they're probably a better barometer than I am, but it's not, it doesn't help. Question for you that's sort of a broader one, but you're very passionate about diversity and equity and inclusion in the industry. Um, and I am really wondering what you think about what this environment does to those sorts of measures. I mean, are we talking about companies making a step back on those uh, advances that they've made because money is so tight and that people's minds are on immediate crises? Yeah, so I, would say, I think you have to unpack it a little bit. I think uh, I think people that are truly committed to, to change, it's not going to slow people down. Um, and you know, part of it is in, in, in inherited the question you asked. Um, I'm not sure it really costs anymore to do some of these things, right? I don't think it costs anymore to have a hire and you know attract and retain a more diverse team. Um, you know, from as it relates to the environment and sustainability, um, I would argue that it's it's a bad business decision not to be focused on it because increasingly, you know, not only are tenants very focused on buildings that are more sustainable, but, you know, so tenants are, employees are, investors are. And so I don't think you can really afford uh, to pull back on some of these things. Now, look, will there be as much energy about it and, you know, um, on a on a front of mind basis when you're also worried about is your bank, is the bank you deal with solvent and whatever else, right? I mean, sure, sometimes the nature of, of being in business is putting out the fire that's in front of you. But I personally don't think that this is going to significantly slow down the momentum there because I think it's 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 just it's good business. It's the right thing for people to be doing. Forget the social overlay. Forget any of that. It's just it's the right thing for people to do from a business perspective. And I think most people know that. This week, what's the biggest thing for you? I mean, what's going to be taking up most of your time in the next few days? What do you think is going to be? Where do you think the next concern point is? When would you start feeling better about everything? Yeah, look, I think, again, we, we're continuing to just make sure we have a firm grasp on um, 
everything from a risk management perspective. You know, we're invested in 15 countries around the world. We have $84 billion that we manage. Um, we're in really good shape. Uh, we've been communicating with our we communicating with our investors a lot over the last few weeks and letting them know where we are. Uh, and the team's done an amazing job. So I think that we've broken the back of part of it is just understanding what do we have, do we have an issue? We're in good shape there. Uh, I think then you know it's part of this is okay if we have to have now a bunch of new banking relationships or consolidate certain banking relationships. That's easy, but the hard part is then how do you make all that money work and you still have to you still have to collect rent, you still have to pay bills, and you have to do all that stuff. So there's a lot of process that goes behind it. So all that's going to continue to happen. And again, the team is doing a good job of that. And then I think part of our job is to continue to just look at the forward environment and just say, you know, what issues, is, what other issues are going to come out of all of this as next order, the next order, and what should we be thinking about around the horizon? By the same token, what opportunities are going to come out of this? We got to make sure we're focused on that too. Right? Um, you know, what are there? I, I mentioned earlier that it's, we thought it's been a good time to be a private lender. It's even a better time to be a private market lender. Uh, and so we're going to continue to do that. But what are the other investment opportunities that are going to come out of this? Um, and I, you know, you can't lose sight of that. You have to continue to focus on that. It's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, for every for every negative thing that happens, there might be a interesting thing, positive thing to take advantage of or invest in, or et cetera. So. What are they? Do we know yet? They will present themselves. The most obvious one right now is, um, you know, continuing to be a lender to try to take to try to fill in some of the hole in the market that exists right now because a lot of the banks are pulled back. So, but apart from that, you know, you, we're trying. Not, we're not trying to be heroes here. And so I think part of this is just, you know, just moving really deliberately um, and making sure we have an understanding of what's going on. What's interesting about real estate is it just touches so much of the economy, right? We house the economy. We're a core part of the fabric of the economies. And so we feel everything. We feel it when it's good. We feel it when it's bad. We have a huge impact, right? We're 40% of carbon emissions. So we're a big part of the problem. We can be a big part of the solution. We employ we employ so many people, so if we want to become more diverse as an industry, we can make a real difference. And so I just look. I'm. I'm I think we gotta. You know. I think we gotta be. In times like this, to me, what's key is you gotta make sure you don't lose your discipline, and you gotta make sure you continue to remember what you're good at and what you know, and not be afraid that you don't know certain things or whatever else, and then get the help you need on those. Um, so we've gotten a lot of help, like, you know, a lot of my views on what's going on and in the, in the, in my views and my partner's views and the you know, senior management's views here is based on talking to experts uh, and you know, doing our own work on it and everything else. There are a lot of industries which come and go. Real estate's not going anywhere. Sunny, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And I hope the next time we chat, uh, we'll have even better things to talk about. That's Sonny Kelsey. He's the co-CEO of Bentel Green Oak.